Welcome back to the Hoop Journal Podcast. It's been a few weeks, but now we're back with another episode. We're going to react to everything that went down at the trade deadline yesterday. We saw 23 teams move 46 players in a total of 16 different transactions yesterday. Those three numbers are all NBA highs over the last 35 years on deadline day. So there's a whole lot of player movement. Two guys that we didn't see moved that I think many expected to. Kyle Lowry and Lonzo Ball. I think for Lowry, the Raptors were just willing to take this into next season whether that be a sign-in trade this summer or if they just re-sign Lowry and then maybe go through this process again next deadline. There seemed to be just not really a great offer out there for someone as talented as Kyle Lowry, given that he makes $30 million. But the Lakers' offer was something like Dennis Schroeder, KCP, and Taylor Horton Tucker was the, uh, the sticking point for both sides. And then for the Heat and the Sixers, their offers really just weren't up to par with what the Raptors were expecting. And so it, it might seem a little confusing as to why the Raptors would deal Norman Powell, but ultimately hold on to Kyle Lowry. But I do think it was the smart move. He will still have value if they can re-sign him this summer. And so there's no point in trading him just so that they can move on from him. He'll still be valuable a year from now, just like he was this year. And there's greater potential for more teams to be interested. On the Pelican side, I'm glad they kept Lonzo. I think he's a great fit with Zion. And with him set to be a restricted free agent this summer, it's not likely that they got any offers for a player better than Lonzo, especially not a better fit for that team. But if we can talk about some trades that actually did go through the first big one of the day, Nikola Vucevic to the Chicago Bulls. So the full trade details, the Bulls get Nikola Vucevic along with Al Farouk Amino in exchange for Wendell Carter Jr., Otto Porter Jr., the 2021 Bulls first round pick top four protected, and a 2023 Bulls first round pick also top four protected. Now, my immediate reaction to this, I love this move for the Bulls. I think it immediately inserts them into that second tier in the Eastern Conference behind Brooklyn, Milwaukee, and Philly. And it also gives Levine and Vooch probably the best teammates they've ever played with in their entire career. And I think it's two players that offensively will complement each other really well. I think a Levine-Vucevic pick-and-roll, pick-and-pop game is going to be really hard to stop, especially when they were able to retain guys like Thaddeus Young, Tomas Sadoransky. I think this offense is going to take a big step forward. And while Wendell Carter Jr., has really high defensive potential, I'm not sure there's going to be a huge drop-off for the Bulls' defense by adding Vooch, especially when you look at some of the other moves they made, which we'll get to. As we know, the Eastern Conference in the middle is very tight right now. The Bulls are just two games out of the five seed, and so with this addition of Vooch, I think they really elevate themselves out of the play-in tournament most likely. And while they still might be a first-round exit, I probably wouldn't take them to beat the Heat or any of the top three teams in the East. This is still a great move in the right direction for this Bulls team. I think giving up the two picks might have been a lot, it's risky, but I got to give them respect for making a move that definitively improves them in the now. A lot of teams in the position that the Bulls are in would sort of just stand pat, maybe sort of just wait around and hope that they can land some superstar in a trade like Bradley Beal. But the Bulls didn't do that. They went out and got a guy that's going to help them win games right now. It puts them up a tier in the Eastern Conference. And while this move doesn't make them contenders right now, I have a lot of respect for teams that are just willing to get better when the opportunity presents itself. Because again, while they might be a first-round exit this season, this is now a team that has two all-stars on it heading into an offseason where they can open up a lot of cap space. And given that Chicago is, what, the third biggest city in the entirety of the United States, it should be a pretty big free agent destination, especially if the Bulls are good. So I really like this move for the Bulls. I think the two picks in Wendell Carter is a worthy price for an all-star center. Now, if we can get into Orlando side of it, it was pretty well reported that the Magic weren't really interested in moving Vucevic. They're planning on just keeping him, and it would have taken an offer that blew them away for them to consider trading Vooch, and here it was. I think this is safe to say a pretty overwhelming offer for a 31-year-old center who depreciates in the playoffs and was never going to have higher trade value than he has right now. 
And as much as I like this move for the Bulls, I think I like it even more for the Magic, especially when you consider the other moves that they made, the complete teardown that they had yesterday. I think they were able to get 110 cents on the dollar for Vucevic. Wendell Carter, to me, can be your starting center for the next 10 years if he develops properly, and he'll have all the opportunity necessary to do that in Orlando now. Nikola Vucevic lasted eight seasons in Orlando, and he played a total of 10 playoff games during that span. So if they can get eight years as a starter out of Wendell Carter Jr., then this is an absolute steal of a trade for the Magic because they're also getting those two first-round picks. Now, the one this season is top four protected. I don't think uh, the Bulls have to worry about that. It'll probably be somewhere in the teens, which to me, I think that's a pretty valuable pick. You know, even if it's the 19th pick in the draft, I mean, we saw Sadiq Bey go 19th in the draft this year. So I think that's a somewhat valuable piece. And then the 2023 pick, I think, could be really valuable because the Bulls, haven't exactly been a stable franchise over the last, what, 20 years? So there's a reason to believe that even just two seasons from now, this team won't look like what it does right now, for better or for worse. And so there's potential there with that pick. I'm under the assumption that if either of those picks does land in the top four, that they roll into unprotected picks for the following season. So either in 2023 or 2024, the Orlando Magic have the potential to land a really good pick from the Bulls. So all in all, I like this move for both sides. I think Chicago takes a big step towards becoming potentially a real contender down the line. And for Orlando, I think this was a great deal for them to kick off the rebuild, to get a young replacement center along with multiple first-round picks. I think you have to be happy with that return. And now for Orlando, the tank begins. The next move Orlando made was shipping off Evan Fournier to Boston in exchange for a pair of second-round picks. Jeff Teague was also involved in the deal. He will be waived by the Magic. So really quickly for Orlando, I mean, to get a couple extra swings in the draft for someone who's on expiring contract and certainly wasn't coming back, I think you got to be pretty happy with that. Just getting anything for Fournier, I think, is a pretty solid return. You know, there are a lot of teams that were interested in Fournier. He's a good player. He can go and get you a bucket. But given his $17 million salary, it wasn't easy for many teams to absorb that contract. And of course, the Celtics have that traded player exception. So they were able to just send out a couple second-round picks and it got the deal done. I think that's a great deal for Boston. I mean, to get essentially your fourth scoring option for two second-round picks, I think that's the deal you have to make 10 out of 10 times. They did use a piece of that traded player exception. They now have roughly $11 million left of it that they can use through this offseason. It'll expire one year after Gordon Hayward signed his contract with the Hornets. So for me as a Celtics fan, I feel pretty satisfied about this move in a vacuum. But if you back up and look at it a little bit further... The Celtics had to send out two second round picks to the Hornets in order to make the, the traded player exception from Hayward, and then they sent out another two to get Fournier. So this was essentially four first round picks to acquire Evan Fournier, who by the way will have to get re-signed uh, this offseason. So depending on what they do with the remaining $11 million, I don't think that they were able to adequately replace Hayward. Fournier is a good scorer. I think he can be a really good complimentary scorer, maybe a, a six-man. But he doesn't provide the defense. He doesn't provide the playmaking, the ball movement that Hayward did. And obviously, they weren't going to just replace him with a new Gordon Hayward. But I was really hoping to see them also go after Aaron Gordon. We'll get to Aaron Gordon in a second. But the last thing I want to mention about this deal, uh, getting rid of Teague, I think, is good for the Celtics because he was starting to come alive a little bit the last few games. But he has just not been good for them this season. And this allows for Peyton Pritchard to get more minutes, something that I think every Celtics fan wants to see. And I don't really think a lot of Celtics fans are upset about getting rid of Teague. So that piece of it, I like. So now if we can talk about Aaron Gordon, the third deal that the Magic made yesterday, they shipped him off to Denver in exchange for RJ Hampton, Gary Harris, and a 2025 protected first round pick. Now, I've heard a lot of other people say this as well, but Aaron Gordon became the most overrated player within the last 24 hours. 
or even going back a little bit further, uh, when we first started hearing rumors about what an Aaron Gordon trade package might look like, it was rumored that the Celtics were going to give up Marcus Smart and first-round picks. I think all of that was so wildly overblown. And Ryan Rosillo did a great piece on this on his podcast that I can't quite do justice, but I think everyone was really in love with the idea of Aaron Gordon, and a lot of people still are, and there's people still holding out hope for who Aaron Gordon can be, and ultimately he's a good role player. I don't think he has any star potential left in him. And so the idea that he was going to go for like this giant package never really made sense to me. Ultimately, I do think they got a pretty solid return. Depending on how you view RJ Hampton, they essentially got two first-round picks out of the deal and Gary Harris, who will have a $20 million expiring contract for next year, which, assuming he can maintain his value between now and next year's trade deadline, they should absolutely be able to flip him for something. Adding Hampton is a little bit of a question mark because they just drafted Cole Anthony and they'll have Markel Fultz coming back next year, so that's three lead guards. But I suppose RJ Hampton could develop into an off-ball guard. And, I mean, with the Magic leaning into a, a long rebuild here, maybe they aren't so worried about overlapping positions. They're just trying to get the most talent in as possible. So not a bad return, in my opinion. I think really what the Magic should have done is probably traded Aaron Gordon last year when his value was a little bit higher. But given that they missed out on that one, I think what they were able to get for Gordon at the deadline yesterday was pretty solid. On the Nuggets side, I think this is a move that they absolutely had to make. You have Jokic playing at an MVP level right now, and you have to maximize that window, especially with the Lakers down right now. The Nuggets have a real chance to get back to the Western Conference Finals and maybe even to a Finals, and Aaron Gordon is another piece that can help push them over the top. He was probably just about the best Jeremy Grant replacement the Nuggets could have possibly hoped for, and while it did cost the Nuggets a future first to draft RJ Hampton last summer, or I guess last fall. He really isn't helping them win now. He probably isn't helping them win next season. So I don't think giving him up is really all that big of a deal. Even if he turns out to be a player that's better than Aaron Gordon one day, I still think that this was a smart move for the Nuggets. Now, I do think a lot of people are overlooking the Gary Harris part of it as just some sort of salary filler. And Gary Harris certainly has not been what the Nuggets wanted out of him since they've given him that contract. And so I get getting off of that money helps. But I think we, we need to remember that Gary Harris was crucial to the Nuggets beating the Jazz in round one last season. He didn't come back until, I want to say it was game six of that series, and he absolutely made the difference on the perimeter for that team. His perimeter defense, you could argue, was one of the turning points of that series for the Nuggets. Now, of course, the Nuggets did not have Will Barton for that bubble run last year, so you could say that he can just fill in that gap right there. But I do think it's worth noting that Harris was really crucial for them in the postseason. So now, really quickly, I want to talk about the Heat picking up uh, Nemanja Bielitsa in exchange for Mo Harkless and Chris Silva. The Mo Harkless signing for the Heat didn't really work out this season. They picked him up, hoping he could be the Jay Crowder replacement, and that just wasn't really the case. Uh, Nemanja Bielitsa helps replace Kelly Olynyk at the four spot. They moved Kelly Olynyk in a different deal, which we'll talk about. I like Bielitsa as just like a low-usage bench guy. I think he's, high, he's a high IQ player. He plays solid defense. He's not the most dynamic offensive player in the world, but I think he can fit in well with what the Heat have going on. And so for the price of two players who weren't helping out this team, I think this is a good move for the Heat. It's a little bit of extra depth, a little bit of insurance. And on the Kings side, I don't know much about Chris Silva. Maybe he has potential. I really don't know. The only thing I remember about him was his mother came to visit him. The Heat surprised him, and it was like this really touching moment. Other than that, I don't know much about him. Mo Harkless doesn't help the Kings in any way. The next deal I want to talk about the 76ers picked up George Hill in a three-way deal that sent Terrence Ferguson over to the Knicks, 
Austin Rivers, Tony Bradley, and two second round picks via Philly to the OKC Thunder. So most importantly for the Sixers, they give up Tony Bradley in a pair of seconds to get George Hill. I think this was a great move for them. George Hill was one of the guys I talked about in my last video. I think he's a great backup point guard. I think he's a great fit with the Sixers. This was a really smart move for them. The two seconds don't mean much. Tony Bradley right now, he was doing a good job of replacing Embiid while he's dealing with an injury, but in the long run, you know, losing out on him doesn't mean much. Getting George Hill, I think, makes a real impact for this team come postseason. So smart move for them to scoop him up. For the Knicks, they sent out Austin Rivers in exchange for Terrence Ferguson. Austin Rivers is likely to get bought out, and Terrence Ferguson is just a young guy that the Knicks can take a flyer on. He's got a lot of athleticism. I like his potential, so I, I think that's a smart move for the Knicks because Austin Rivers just wasn't really fitting in there after they got Derrick Rose, so they picked up a player that they can build with moving forward. Now on OKC's end, again, Austin Rivers will likely be bought out. I think he's a good buyout candidate for some contending teams. Uh, they get Tony Bradley, uh, which is nice. He's a young center. He still has some potential, especially if you ask Joel Embiid. And then, of course, two extra seconds. OKC now has 17 first-round picks and 17 second-round picks over the next seven drafts. And these are not all Bucks top 25 protected, Lakers, you know, like these are some of these are really good picks. The OKC Thunder are going to be able to land whatever superstar they want about three years from now. All right, so really quickly before we get to some of the bigger deals that I know you want to hear about, this is probably the most insignificant trade to most people, but I think it's really important. I talked about it in my video yesterday. Troy Brown and Mo Wagner got sent to the Bulls in exchange for Daniel Gafford and Chandler Hutchinson. Now for the Wizards, Troy Brown, like I said in my last video, was not getting PT for whatever reason. He should have. I, I don't understand why he didn't, but it makes sense that they moved on from him if they weren't going to play him. They attach Mo Wagner and they get two guys that I think have pretty high potential. Daniel Gafford, I like. He might just be a guy at the end of the rotation, but I think he does show some flashes of some promising stuff at the center spot. And then Chandler Hutchinson, he's a pretty solid all-around wing. Um, he is a little bit older to be considered like a young guy, but he hasn't been in the league that long, and I still think he has time to be a legit rotation piece. And again, for, for someone that they just didn't want to give playing time to for whatever reason, I think these are two good pickups for the Wizards. And then on the Bulls' end, I think Troy Brown adds a lot to their perimeter defense, which they're going to need because if the Bulls are going to be a legit playoff team, they have to improve on defense, and Troy Brown helps with that. And then they also added Mo Wagner, who they flipped for Daniel Tice, which we'll talk about in a minute. Now, again, the four names involved in this deal are probably four people you don't care about whatsoever. But to me, I think getting Troy Brown Jr. is a big pickup for the Bulls because I really like his potential as a perimeter defender and a complementary offensive player. But now we'll move on to the more high-profile trades. The Raptors sent out Norm Powell to the, the Trailblazers in exchange for Gary Trent Jr. and Rodney Hood. Rodney Hood has been essentially a black hole this season. Uh, he really just helped fill salary here. Uh, this is a Norm Powell for Gary Trent Jr. swap. Two expiring contracts, two similar players. Uh, I do think Norm Powell is a little bit better, but given that Gary Trent is younger and the Raptors were looking to move Powell due to him being on an expiring, this is a good deal. I think it's one that makes sense for both sides. Like I said, Norm Powell is a little bit better, so Portland does get an upgrade on the wing, someone that has more size and is a better fit to play alongside Damon CJ. Not a perfect fit, uh, but he does have more size than Gary Trent Jr. He's a little bit better of a defender. So this is an upgrade for the Blazers. And then on the Raptors end, you know, they clearly weren't comfortable with paying Powell this offseason, whatever they think that number might be. And so now they get another expiring contract in Gary Trent Jr., but it seems as though his market value would probably be a little bit lower than Norm Powell. He doesn't have quite the same... Uh, 
on ball creativity and i think he's a little bit worse as a defender so his number will probably not be as expensive as norm powell's and given that he is younger it's someone that the raptors can build with long term so again i like this move for both sides it's not a move i was expecting but i think it makes a lot of sense my only complaint about anything about this transaction is that the trailblazers didn't do more if they were willing to move someone like gary trent jr to make a win now move then I wish they really went all in. I really wanted them. I've been wanting them for years now to trade Zach Collins, really since the moment they drafted him, if we're being honest. But I think they should have really tried to go all in, trade whatever picks they had, really make a win now move because I think it's starting to become now or never time for, for Dame and the Blazers. Like I mentioned with the Nuggets, I think the Western Conference could be wide open with the Lakers' two stars being injured right now. And so I think if the Blazers were going to make a trade, they should have made multiple trades and really gone all in at a title run. And maybe they did, maybe they searched the market, maybe they were in on Aaron Gordon, but they just couldn't offer enough. I don't know the full details of exactly what they were trying to do yesterday, but I just wish they had made another move because just turning Gary Trent into Norm Powell doesn't do enough to push the Blazers over the top. And so while it is a good move in a vacuum, it's not really helping the Blazers. And so I wish we just could have seen more. Sticking with the Raptors, another move they made, they sent out Matt Thomas to the Jazz in exchange for a future second. The Jazz were also in the running for J.J. Redick, so it's clear that they think they need another shooter. At the cost of a future second round pick, I think Matt Thomas is a good pickup. I don't know how much he'll play for them in a postseason setting, but I think he will get some run during the rest of this regular season. I think the Jazz are going to want to rest some other guys down the stretch here. And Matt Thomas is a guy you can sub in and be a legit NBA player. I wouldn't really trust him in a playoff series. He can't really play defense, but... Over the next 20-something games, I think this is, this is a nice low-key addition for the Jazz. Now this, alongside sending out Terrence Davis to Sacramento, made me really think the Raptors were going to end up moving Lowry, and maybe that's what this was for, but ultimately they, they held on to Lowry, so they just got a couple of extra second-round picks for Terrence Davis and uh, for Matt Thomas, which, you know, for a team that certainly is heading towards a tank, getting rid of two guys who actually help you win from time to time in exchange for some future draft capital. You know, a heads up move by Masai, nothing major, but the right move to make, I think. And by the way, Terrence Davis to the Kings, I think is a nice pickup for them. Um, they also added DeLon Wright a few days ago. So rather than uh, have a fire sale for Marvin Bagley, Harrison Barnes, Buddy Heald, these guys like many expected, they actually added two guys to help them win now. They, they're really poised on making a push for that last playing spot. And they're only two games out of it right now. So I understand the thinking there, although I would have liked to see them try to move on from Buddy Heald. I do think those are two nice low-key additions for the Kings that could help them. So next up, I want to talk about the Clippers picking up Rondo. So they sent out Lou Williams in exchange for Rajon Rondo. They also had to give up picks, and if you remember from a few days ago, they traded Kevin Gelly to the Kings alongside a pick and some money. And that was in order to free up some cap space to make this move because Rondo makes a little bit more money than Lou Williams does. And so while it was a lot to pick up a 30-something-year-old point guard who doesn't really help in the regular season. This is the exact guy that I said the Clippers should target. So I can't say I don't like the move. This is a good fit for them, and if they can get anything that resembles what the Lakers got out of Rondo last year, then this is absolutely a worthwhile move. Because as long as Rondo's not a negative for them, I think getting rid of Lou Williams helps. I have long been an anti-Lou Williams guy when it comes to the playoffs because he simply has just been terrible. Every single year he's been in the playoffs, he just has not been good. And so taking him off the team, I think, might hurt their scoring, you know, for their next 20-so games. But when it comes to the postseason, not having the ability to put Lou Williams on the floor, I think, will ultimately help the Clippers. And I already know what people are thinking. Oh, but he had that really one good game against, against the Warriors when they were the seventh seed. Yeah, okay, great. Go look at Lou Williams' playoff averages and tell me you want him on your team. 
So for the Hawks, uh, I think what Rondo provided for Trey Young over these 40 or so games maybe was beneficial because he is, you know, a very experienced veteran. So I'm sure he sort of rubbed off on Trey Young a little bit. But clearly that signing did not go the way they, they anticipated. But they get a hometown hero in Lemon Pepper Lou. They got some second round picks out of it. So I think getting off of Rondo's $7.5 million for next season is, is really a win in itself for the Hawks. You know, you signed Gallo for 20-plus mil. You have John Collins' situation coming up this summer. Trey Young's max extension is looming. You got guys like Cam Reddish, DeAndre Hunter. There's a lot of guys that got to get paid in Atlanta, so being able to shed Rondo's money when he wasn't really helping them out, it's a good move for them. So now we start to get into the deals that didn't become official until after 3 p.m. The biggest one was Houston sending Victor Oladipo to Miami. In exchange, Miami sent out Avery Bradley, Kelly Olynyk, as well as a draft swap. Not a whole lot for someone that was an All-NBA player not too long ago, but as we all know, Victor Oladipo has not been that same player. But still, I think this is a relatively cheap price for Oladipo. And for Houston, this is a really bad look because they chose Oladipo over Levert. They intentionally traded Levert away so that they can get Oladipo instead. And then they turn Oladipo into a pick swap? Um, I can't imagine Avery Bradley or Kelly Olenek are in their long-term plans, so unless they find a way to turn those guys into some assets, um, they absolutely fumbled that bag right there. I understand when Houston took the picks over Ben Simmons because there's a lot of upside in having draft picks, and also as a GM, it sort of allows you to have a lot of time to just not be good because you can say, well, I have all these draft picks. So it helps Rafael Stone keep his job uh, in the long term. But the, the turning Karis LeVert into Victor Oladipo part never really made sense to me. Because even if the thinking was they didn't want to hold on to LeVert's money, given that Oladipo is an expiring and LeVert has three years, they could have traded LeVert. You, you'd have to think, of course, with the, with the kidney thing, um, that was unexpected. So maybe that impacts things. But you'd have to imagine Karis LeVert has higher trade value than Victor Oladipo. Clearly, we would have to think that's the case, given what Victor Oladipo just went for. So... Even if, even if the holdup about Levert was the money, he's more tradable, you would think, than Victor Oladipo was. So this was a bad move for the Rockets. Uh, they were able to get something out of him, I guess, which is more than nothing because he would have just walked for absolutely nothing. So I guess it is something, but ultimately, Houston made a mistake by choosing Oladipo over Levert. And that's what this deal really says to me. On Miami's end of it, um, hopefully they, they can sort of rehab uh, Oladipo's value. I think in, in a smaller role, because he's going to be playing for a better team, I think Oladipo will look better than he has in Houston. But it's hard to see how he ever gets back to all-NBA third team or all-star level form. He doesn't have the same burst. He doesn't have the same leaping ability. The athleticism has just taken a step back, as we would have expected given the injuries he's dealt with. He doesn't have the same intensity on the defensive end. I remember early on in his career, he really made his name on the defensive end. And then once he started turning into one of the better scorers in the league, he sort of lost that. And so maybe the Miami Heat, if anyone can do it, the Miami Heat can probably put that back into him. But I just don't see him returning to the Victor Oladipo that we all knew and loved. And not that he has to be for the Heat. I don't think that's what the Heat are expecting out of him. But I'm just not sure what version of Oladipo they are going to get because... At his best, he's probably getting 20 to 25 minutes a game in like a six-man role where he can just take as many shots as he wants against a bench unit, and I'm not sure that's exactly how the Heat are going to use him. I think they're going to expect him to be a really good defender. I think they're going to expect him to fit in and be a complimentary offensive player. And Aladipo, I mean, he turned down $45 million over two years from the Rockets. This is someone who still thinks that he's a max or near max level player, and so I have my concerns about how much he's going to be willing to just fit in. 
but it's still a really low risk move for Miami. Avery Bradley wasn't really getting much playing time, if at all. I honestly don't even know if he's played for them this season. And they were able to replace Kelly Olenek with uh, Bielitsa and potentially Aldridge, so the cost wasn't very high, and the upside is. Smart move for the Heat. Dallas also made headlines. They picked up a shooter, or actually two shooters. They added J.J. Redick and Nicolo Melli from the Pelicans, and they sent out James Johnson, Wesley Awundu, and a second-round pick to the Pelicans. So for Dallas, they're adding two shooters, add some depth. Giving up Johnson uh, in terms of you know on-court production is not a big deal, but they added him for a very specific reason, and that was to really be an enforcer. Uh, we can recall against the Clippers, they really got out-toughed, if, that, if that's a real word. So adding James Johnson was supposed to help solve that problem, but when you can add two really elite shooters like Redick and Melly, giving him up is not a big deal. Wesley Awundu wasn't getting minutes for them. And then a second round pick, I, you know. I think this is more than a fair price on Dallas's end. And of course, Redick and Melly are exactly the best defenders in the world, of course, but Mavericks needed more shooters. They needed guys that can help space the floor for Luka, and so that's exactly what Redick and Melly are going to do. And then on the Pelicans' end, I was surprised that they traded Melly because he's actually been really good for them. He doesn't get enough playing time, in my opinion, because it seems as though every time he gets subbed into the game, all of a sudden the Pelicans just go on like a 9-2 run. And maybe that's just me not watching enough of the Pelicans, but I actually really like Melly for them. So I think he's going to be a big get for Dallas, and they didn't really get a whole lot in exchange for him. Um, Wesley Awundu is still pretty young, so maybe he can be something. Uh, but James Johnson doesn't really do much for them. I guess he does add toughness like he did for the, for the Mavericks. Uh, but in terms of winning and trying to get into the play tournament, I don't really think he helps out the Pelicans. And then the second-round pick, it's a second-round pick. I think this being the only move that the Pelicans ended up making uh, does point towards the fact that they don't really think that they're that good. Uh, I think if they thought that they were going to make the play-in tournament, they would have made more of a win-now move. I know they were keen on getting rid of J.J. Redick anyway, um, but sending off Melly for a bag of chips and then uh, a second bag of chips you know, was a little bit surprising, and I think it opens the door for the Kings to maybe knock someone else out of the play-in tournament because of the five teams in the Western Conference currently not in the top 10, the Timberwolves and the Rockets, they're already out of it. OKC, we would think would fall out of it eventually they're still sort of in the mix right there with the pelicans and the kings and so if we just think the pelicans got worse and the kings added two guys that can help them get better they're probably the prime team to knock someone out of the playing tournament maybe opening up these extra minutes from reddick and melly and giving them to like Nikhil alexander walker kyra lewis like maybe it actually ends up making the pelicans better but i think they got worse while the kings improved and so if i had to guess i would say the pelicans end up missing the playoffs all right, so now very quickly before we get into the final deal of the day, which absolutely ripped my heart, uh, Marquise Chris is on his way from the Warriors to the Spurs. This was a salary dumping move for the Warriors and for the Spurs. They take a flyer on a young big man that's bounced around the league a little bit, but has shown flashes of, of some production here and there. And also Brad Wanamaker goes from the Warriors to the Hornets. Obviously, the Hornets are going to be without LaMelo Ball, so this gives them another point guard that they can rely on. And of course, being a former Celtic, the Hornets just absolutely had to snatch him up because that's what they do. I don't think either of those additions make much of a difference for the Spurs or the Hornets. Um, I guess having another guard uh, to fill in for LaMelo helps, but ultimately it was still a huge downgrade from what they were getting out of LaMelo. So, I mean, this is really nothing to blink twice at, except on the Warriors' end of it, I was surprised to see them just so willingly move on from two of their rotation guys at a time where their best player is down. All right, now is the time where I have to talk about the Celtics trading Daniel Tice. 
They sent out Daniel Tice along with Javante Green, and they got back Mo Wagner and Luke Cornett. You can hear it straight away in my voice. I, I'm not happy about this as a Celtics fan. Um, I, I know why we did it. Um, it was to avoid the luxury tax, which is super important. You don't want to be one of those uh, repeating luxury tax teams if, if you're not going to be contending for a title. So I get it. The move makes sense. I just wish it didn't have to get done. Uh, I was really hoping that they could have found a way to move Tristan Thompson instead because he's not as good as Tice and he's got a guaranteed $9 million for next season. So if, if they could have moved Thompson instead, I would have really felt good about the Celtics deadline. But unfortunately, they had to ship out Tice. Uh, Mo Wagner and Luke Cornett are, are two bigs that have some stretch potential. Uh, but neither of them are nearly as good as Daniel Tice is. So this is definitely a move in the wrong direction for the Celtics. But again, it's something that they had to do in order to avoid the luxury tax. For the Bulls, I think this is a great pickup. Tice is instantly going to become probably the best backup center in the entire league. I think he complements Vucevic really well as his backup, and for the price of two not-so-great big men to get one that actually is good, great move for the Bulls. I really love what the Bulls did here on the deadline. Uh, they were definitely the winners of the trade deadline, and that's really everything. I, I think I covered just about everything that has any level of significance to the NBA outside of, you know, LaMarcus Aldridge and Andre Drummond will be bought out by the Spurs and the Cavs, respectively. Um, but as far as trades, I think we covered everything. But since this is my own podcast, even though I know 99% of you don't care to hear me talk about this, I do want to talk about Tice a little bit because as someone who watched him go from this random dude from Germany into one of the more quality starting centers in the league, Tice meant a lot to me as a Celtics fan. If you don't watch much of the Celtics, you probably don't know much about Tice, but I genuinely believe he's one of the most underrated players in the league. The way he was able to fit in with the starting lineup of the Celtics really is something that I don't think they're going to be able to replicate with the guys they have left on the roster. He was really the only big man that had any sort of pick and roll or pick and pop game with Kemba. The way he was able to set screens and roll or pop reliably, and his ability to seal defenders off when his teammates would drive to the basket to create more open layups, is all just super invaluable to the Celtics, and it's not something that they can easily replace. As much as I love Robert Williams, and I'm glad that he's going to get an opportunity to be the starter now, Tice was super important to what the Celtics had going on. I think he was really important to the locker room as well, just from what I've heard from Celtics reporters. And so this is a really tough loss for the Celtics. To any and all Bulls fans out there that are listening to this, y'all better take good care of Tice. Uh, but the war on Tice continues. You're going to uh, really enjoy watching him get absolutely disrespected by the refs any chance they get. But all right, that's enough talk about Daniel Tice. Uh, thank you guys for listening. I really appreciate you guys checking out the podcast. Make sure to subscribe, leave a rating, tell your friends about us, and I'll catch you guys in the next episode.